Welcome to Conversion Nations Live. Uh, this is your host, Manuel da Costa from Effective Experiments, and uh, we have new and old host uh, guests with, uh, with me today. Tim is the old one, everyone else yep. is. <laughs> so Accurate. We're going to kickstart fairly soon. I know a few people uh, are online uh, watching this, others are going to join. Hey, Hutka, how are you doing? Uh, Yaroslav, good to see you guys. So people will start joining, uh, and then obviously this is going to go on to the Facebook page where people can also watch it uh, later as well. Uh, before we get started, let's do some quick introductions. Tim, do you want to kick off with your introduction? I think people know who you are, so let's start. <laughs> I'm Tim Stewart, and I'm the old one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the young one. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was a short introduction to normally. You would have taken half an hour just to introduce yourself. <clears throat> well, people have heard it before, so go back and watch yeah. the old videos. Subscribe, like. Yeah, yeah. If you if you haven't um, heard or watched any of the previous Conversion Nations episodes with Chad Sanderson, Andrew Anderson, Paul Rook, myself, Tim, you can go and check us out on iTunes uh, to listen to the audio versions, or you can also go onto the um, YouTube channel where you can watch the videos of this. So this is going straight onto our Facebook page. Whoever joins, great. But this is our end of year 2018 live show. The last time we did a live show was good. You know, a lot of people attended and asked questions. So hopefully people start joining. Um, anyone who's attending right now, if you uh, are able to just leave a comment on our Facebook page so people know that it's happening on there as well in case they're searching around. But yeah, Val, welcome to the, sh to the show. It's great to have you on for the first time. Yes, thank well you. Hopefully you've caught the vibe that we're aiming for <laughs> with with the other people on the show as well. Yeah, like, I forgot you... my hat, but... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us more about uh, yourself and, um, you know, your journey as a CRO as well. Yeah, absolutely. So um, just started a new role at Search Discovery as the Director of Optimization. And before that, I built and ran two in-house uh, digital analytics optimization programs at UBS within the investment bank and then at the American Medical Association. So um, throughout my career, I've always either dealt with um, risk legal appetite with HIPAA or with financial regulation. So um, the constraints of those worlds are, are uh, familiar to me. So very excited to be um, in this new role at Search Discovery serving a variety of clients in this optimization journey. Nice. And you're, uh, you're live streaming to us straight from New York, is that correct? That is correct. Good stuff. And in Amsterdam, Kido, uh, why don't you introduce yeah. yourself? Uh, my name is Kudian, so I have a background in psychology, always worked in e-commerce, uh, optimizing websites. And um, I guess I made so many mistakes that Manuel invited me for this uh, topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were the guinea pig, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've worked with effective experiments, so Manuel see, seen all my, uh, my all my mistakes in the back end. Yeah. That's basically how I compiled the show. It's like, let's see what mistakes he's made. Bring them on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I finished the year uh, at uh, Randstad as a global CRO lead, setting up uh, conversion optimization in, in 39 countries uh, uh, for them. And um, I just became a dad five weeks ago. So I'm three months off now. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, congrats. Congrats. Yeah, congratulations. So yeah, um, Unfortunately, it's, it's just one kid. So A-B testing is really hard. You can do quasi-testing. 
quasi test. Yeah. Right? Yes. But we'll everyone that. joining us, I can see a few more people have come online. Do you, uh, do you leave a quick comment to say that you can see us, you can hear us, otherwise we're talking to thin air. Um, and interact with us, right? So if you have a question as it comes up, we have a, like about 50 odd minutes where we're going to be covering five top mistakes that we've seen that CROs are still doing in 2018. We're going to have a conversation about that. This is a loose flowing conversation. You're welcome to add in your points. We will bring that up on screen. So whenever you say something, we will bring that up on screen and we can address that point as well. But so let's let's talk about the agenda. Oops, someone I'm kind of uh, on the mic for that. Okay, there we go. Let's talk about the first mistake that CROs are still doing, and then we'll go around and, and discuss that. The first one is launching experiments without prioritizing them. So no lack of prioritization, no prioritize, uh, prioritization of experiments. To, um, Val, do you want to go uh, with that one first? Sure. Um, so I know that a lot of you from watching a lot of material and, and hearing you guys on the different Slack channels for a long time, um, that we all have a lot of opinions about prioritization. Um, the the issue without prioritizing your tests, which we all know, is that you're not taking advantage of your best opportunities and you're not um, measuring them against um, what's important to your business and where your roadmap is headed and that type of thing. So you need to coordinate and understand what tests you want to take advantage of and, and queue those up in an order that makes sense for what you're trying to deliver. And without that, you're just spraying and praying. Um, and so without that type of coordination, you're really missing out on that. Um, it's also a really good tool to get, to get consensus and to get buy-in from other parties who are involved with testing with you. Um, and my, my favorite, the way that I know the prioritization model is working is if no one talks about the prioritization model. So after you've set what the criteria are and what they're going to be, how you're going to score tests, you want to make them as objective as possible that everyone can go back to their desks and prioritize a test and all the different criteria and you end up with the same score because then you don't have to talk about debate like is this three points, is this five points, that's like not where you want the conversation to be. You want to be about the test and what we've learned and how we're going to act on it. So the best prioritization is the one that you don't talk about is, is my POV. Nice, nice point. Tim, what's your take on this? Why, why are people still not prioritizing? What's the reason for that? Uh, well, I think to a degree they kind of are. It's just that the the choice within those prioritizations is still gut feel or led by the business deciding that they want to do it one way rather than what the numbers say. Um, so the, the, the most frequent thing I see is that the one that they need to get done for the business gets prioritized. Now, whether that's need because it's actually good, they're making the use of the opportunity, the traffic, the timing, or whether that's because it stops somebody shouting. Um, seems to be the choice metric rather than where it fits. And the other thing, which I think following from what Val says, people are doing prioritization, but they they have kind of heard the lesson um, <clears throat> that you need to think about the order you do things in. But then they get hung up um, on kind of, well, it must be the perfect order. And it's not just how much money you can make or not just how, you know, how important it is to the business, it's can you? And that yeah. ease of use. You know, this may be the perfect test for us to do right now, but with the amount of people we've got available, the amount of time, the amount of test bandwidth we've got remaining from other tests, we can't fit that test in now. So we have to learn that prioritization is a, is flexible. You know, like Val, Val said very clearly, if it's working well, we kind of just accept here's what we can do. It's just an outline of with what we've got at the moment, what can we do that's useful to us? 
And sometimes it's not the perfect one. And some people go, well, if it's not the perfect one, let's not prioritize anything. Let's sit and wait with a big gap until we can do the perfect test. I'm like, well, let's fit yeah. one of those less important tasks forward because we've got a one week window where we can fit that. People go, oh no, but that's not important enough. Yeah, but pragmatically yeah. we can fit this one in. So it's, it, it's important that we've ticked one of our backlog jobs off in a gap where we couldn't productively use that time. Yeah. Um, so I think people are prioritizing, but they're kind of going from no prioritization, just literally knee jerk reaction. What can I think of next to almost kind of treating it like it's a hard and fast rule. It needs to it's, we talk about roadmaps, but it's more like a sat nav. If, if one route is blocked, then you route around the traffic. You find an alternative path. You're still going forward, but there's an art to that rather than a fixed scoring mechanism on a spreadsheet. And getting two het up that a seven is beating an eight in terms of when you're building it is when people then fall at the second step if they've managed the first step. So, yeah, people are for the most part, you know, as humans, we prioritize stuff, but we don't necessarily prioritize the stuff that's the most efficient and most appropriate. And that I think is where people fall down. We've got we've got a prioritization schedule, whatever you use, you know, PXL or whatever, uh, Pi, and that's it. We stick to that religiously. We're not going to change it. We don't understand why. And we get more het up about who's scoring, who's had more priority one tests through than the next man. And it's, it ends up being a tool for politics. So as Val yeah. said, if, if if it's not, if you're just getting stuff done, it's the way you tick stuff, stuff off the list, that's healthy. But the healthy prioritization is much rarer. But even like prioritization models like Pi and ICE, for example, the ones that have the, the ranges where you can, you know, ease of use, for example, scoring mm -hmm. between four and five and five and six like what's the difference between those two right and you said uh, i like that analogy of the sat nav right things change things are in flux when you're testing and being able to slot things in dynamically is pretty good i think i had a conversation with val like many months ago about testing out your prioritization model as well to see if it's actually facilitating you or it's holding you back and really keen to hear your thoughts on that like uh, did you get anywhere with building something around like how do you test out your prioritization model uh val so <clears throat> we did more so just to give everyone a little bit of background what we did is every every criteria that we used or every attribute of how we tagged a test was something that we measured all the way through to results and so um, we would track things like where the test idea came from like not only like who submitted the test but um, where they got that idea and then we looked at our or percentage of wins or percentage of saves, the number of time, number of things we learned and try to use that to weight our prioritization. Um, so we had some learnings, but I don't think we went back to necessarily apply those weights because again, it was more important to me that we weren't necessarily talking about prioritization and these like small tweaks and changes. I wasn't sure it was gonna be worth it for where we were, but it's definitely something I'd be willing to revisit. But I just one quick comment on something that you said, Tim, about this overcorrection of prioritization. Like I, I've totally heard people talking about that too. And I think one of the ways that people can help not get too um, tunnel vision on that is tracking other metrics about your program. So one of the things that I love is wasted eyeballs. So if you think about every visitor coming in as like a chance for them to enter your, <laughs> your laboratory, um, you're gonna miss out if you are too focused on one metric and not just prioritization, there's other things that could, could deter you from a healthy, successful program. So um, yeah, I think that there's lots of things that people can focus on and too, too focus on prioritization is, is gonna be a detriment. I completely agree. Nice stuff. Hido, what are your thoughts about this? 
Yeah, especially if, like you said, if if you're not testing everyone, um, you don't need the prioritization yet because you just can put it out <laughs> uh, to all all your users. And if you if you realize, I think uh, one one number that that keeps popping up uh, quite often is that at Booking.com, one in ten tests is a success. So if if one in ten is a success, your velocity is quite important. Keep that pace up. Uh, don't stress about one single test. You you need to uh, be testing. If if you're at a pace that um, that you only have uh, two tests a month, uh, increase that pace and don't don't stress on prioritization um, uh, too much. Uh, I mean, it's not good for your for your own. Um, um, well, it's not good for your for your position as you if you're not you want to get those results. And if one in ten is uh, only giving you a result, um, only doing two tests a month, it's gonna <laughs> gonna take you five months to have one successful result. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the part of that is obviously booking is quite a highly optimized site yeah. with a lot of teams. So, so for them to have one test in ten is because their definition of win has evolved to the point where that's yeah. where they've, they've got the luxury of well, most of our main problems are dealt with. You know, if you're doing two tests a month but you've never tested, both of those could be hugely important because you've never tested. That those diminishing returns then mean that you need to scale, and this is where prioritization, I guess, has become kind of a buzzword in the topic and why it gets misunderstood is we we've been doing this a while so for us it's important because maximizing our use of that bandwidth maximizing the use of our people is key to growth whereas if you've never tested getting tied up in knots on the fact that look this is the only test you can do this month because it's the only one fits the traffic and the time do that test but it's not the perfect test it's better than doing none yeah, definitely. And and like Tim said, look at your the resources that you have. Where are your limitations? If your limitation is is uh, front end developers, um, uh, make tests that that don't rely on that too much. Or if it's back end right. development, don't don't develop uh, or or give it a heavier weight in your whatever your prioritization model is. Give it a heavier weight so it doesn't doesn't uh, get up that that high unless it's really important. Yeah, so Manuel, yeah. you said about kind of the various ones with scales. I think keep paying attention to that naught to ten scale for your ease, and your ease is not the same as my ease. And my Correct. ease, my ease will change over time. We may get more yeah. dev resource. We may get better at doing JavaScript-based tests on Ajax pages. That first one that took us ten days to do, we now can knock them out in two days. But we still mm -hmm. got it sat as an eight. That's probably not. You know, so this is the evolution of how we do. We optimize our optimization. So. Yeah, and, it, yeah. and one of the things that you should also in include, I think, is is um, how important so, or incorporate the company values and the company objectives in your prioritization. I, I totally agree. You shouldn't shouldn't look at the one that's shouting the loudest. That's that's not <laughs> where you should be looking at. But to prove your value as a CRO, uh, you need to add business value. So have those add those to your to your uh, prioritization model. Not not just looking at pure customer metrics, but also your business metrics. With the, with prioritization, I know I think we we had a brief chat about this yesterday. Like when hippos or stakeholders start getting involved and trying to override the prioritization altogether, what's your what's your uh, suggestions there for conversion optimizers to uh, avoid that completely skewing the prioritization model for you know teams that are testing high velocity uh, Val. Well, so if I'm working with a new stakeholder or this is a new area, like I'll give the hippo like the one freebie, but it comes at a cost because I'm going to make sure that their name is tied to that challenger variation. So it's control versus person X, Y, Z. And I publicize that as a way to like get people excited about 
testing like, oh, look at this person, like they want to challenge our control, right? So I give them one freebie. And then the only other time that I let someone swoop in is if there's some urgency around a campaign that if we didn't test in this, if we didn't write reprioritize or shift things to take advantage of something, we would be missing out. And that would not be good for our internal branding as a CRO team. But besides that, you can use a lot of your program metrics, like how you've been doing, what's your run rate, what's your contribution to each different program um, as proof that you know what's best. Um, and so that's a really good conversation point is to say like, I know you've got great ideas and I want all of them collected and please let's include that in our hypothesis library. But because we have so much rigor, you, you kind of have to respect this process. And so that's, I've always had a lot of success once you show that like it isn't just what I think is best because sometimes that's what they think, right? It's like, oh, yeah. I know what the next best test is. Like there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into this. And I think that people respect that. So yeah. and if they yeah. don't get that, then you know. And it also I can't ties say. in with, with <laughs> uh, Paco de Boer just just place a comment which does an organizational shit umbrella. Uh, yeah. story. so people come to you and say, Hey, why are you testing this? Uh, why why are you testing this? Why did you prioritize this and then you can say okay no we decided as a whole team or as a whole company this is how we prioritize stuff and, and this is why this test is uh on the on the roadmap and the other test is lower yeah definitely i think it, it sets some structure as well right because again everyone following you know, singing from the same hymn book rather than just like doing whatever they feel is right and uh, you're right there is a balance to be had like if you're just starting out and if that's going to slow you down then you want to speed up but most like the people that we're trying to talk to are like running quite a lot of tests every month and they're building this massive backlog and this is where prioritization i feel plays a really important part in, in that sense uh but getting that getting that cadence right is important and that structure as well because if, if suddenly people decide okay the prioritization saying one thing but we're just going to go against everything it says and just like launch experiments i think that's also dangerous out there as well um uh, Jacob uh, says prioritization based on past experiments has good potential. The more something works, the more likely it will work again. Thoughts, guys. So, what what do you think about Jacob's comment about using uh, you know uh, the uh, past experiments as a as a potential to uh, detect winners for the future as well? Yeah, and Jacob's got a bit of an agenda there because obviously he's got a project going, <coughs> planning that. But yeah, it's it's. It tends, it tends to be the case is that you've got an area where um, you've identified opportunity. Um, it's supreme arrogance to assume that because you've got a winner on that page, that that's the best one it'll ever be. It just tells you that the thing, the lever you were working with has an effect, has a measurable effect. And if you're saying to me that on the first test you ran where a variant showed a significant difference, where it showed an uplift that was worthwhile pursuing, turn around going, well done. <laughs> is probably not good use of your testing time. It, it shows there is there's something in the hypothesis. And so repeating the hypothesis or using data you gained on the test to move down that to understand a bit more about the, the how and the why gives you better understanding of those levers. So you can multiply out the results of one win by you know, using it as, uh, as, as kind of the, the launch board for the next set of the plans. Um, eventually, you get to the point where you have it, kind of what you can do with that particular local maxima. Mm -hmm. And kind of keeping an eye on that historical basis would be the other part to that. 
is, is you don't just kind of go if it worked before it'll work again you kind of go when does it look when can we measure that it's dropping off we're not seeing as much we're fighting harder we're in booking.com situation where instead of having three out of ten or seven out of ten which used to be useful we're now getting one out of ten so we've got to go for high velocity that would indicate we've we've optimized an awful lot of the stuff that's obvious and then it's down to a question of okay with the bandwidth i've got and the budget i've got and the people i've got do i spend more time flogging this dead horse or do i put that back to the back of the queue treat it as something where we go we know there's stuff there we haven't finished but in terms of what it will cost us to to mine that there are bigger fish to fry there are other areas to move on to and put put a pin in that for now come back later on um so yeah it's prioritization has to have factor in there this is where we have things like you know the effect size or the expected outcomes um that should be based on data not gut feel yeah if we've got yeah. test data surely that adds to the the data we're using to prioritize which ones have got good potential but if that potential over multiple tests starts dripping down we then start going well what's our cutoff point what's our futility point where we can't make any more from this from what we're willing to spend Sorry, Val, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, I was going to move on to the hypotheses uh, point, but I'll, I'll let you uh, finish off. Just one quick point is I think this is one of the areas where a really detailed and objective framework such as PXL is superior to a pyre and ice because if you go back and say like, oh, our ease tests, um, they keep winning. Let's do more ease tests. Like you don't learn as much there as then using saying, hey, this came from UX designer. Like this was a, a source or something that I learned from a web analytics platform. So to fish where the fish are and, and use that to inform future, I really think the more detailed, that's, that's another area where it's more superior. Yeah, the, the subjective prioritization versus objective prioritization, right? Yeah, so I think that's that's the summary. We had the kind of the point saying lack of prioritization. I think prioritization's there. It's just misused. And I think we've talked a fair bit about some of the things to consider and how you need to evolve what prioritization, prioritization means and is used for. Yeah, okay. uh, Hito, do you want to wrap that up? Yeah, ideally, you want to have a system that, that's unbiased, uh, that isn't influenced by the person filling in the system, right? And for me, that also works that, that PXL. Those are a lot of yes, no questions, and there are more of them. Um, but it's easier if, if I fill them out or my team member fills them out, that they get to the same score. Uh, with yeah. Pi, this can be a totally different, <laughs> different story. Yeah. So we have a question that we'll just take and then we'll wrap up this point and move on to the next one. Uh, Hudka asks, if you could change the prioritization model that you use for your clients right now, what change would you make? What would you optimize on your own model? And I think like, as Val said as well, like uh, the PXL model is quite a good base uh, to start with. And it's not like the PXL model is the, the be all and end all. It's a good base to start with. And then you can use the data, as Tim put in from past tests, Val's got, we've got an extra guest over there as well. <laughs> and and um, we have, you know, data points that are that are super relevant to your client's business. Like two clients, two different clients will have different prioritization models because you're adding in factors that are unique to their business rather than just using an off-the-shelf uh, model, right? Yeah. As I said, the PXL, the, the 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 principle behind it is solid. It's more objective than subjective and even the the ease factor it's all about days right the, the, the amount of time it takes rather than a, than, a, than a than a range and with those you want to involve other people like i think in, in finance or uh, in legal uh, field you have risk as a factor as well right like how risky is this experiment to run and then it goes 
through to legal and so on and so forth. But that's my point. Anyone else want to add to that? And then we move swiftly on to the next point. Yeah, I think the question was kind of what else do you do? Um, one of the things I've done to good success is that ease question. And we touched about this right at the start is that, that ease changes over time. And if we're talking about repeated data that we've got um, to work with, it's not just whether that test won or not, but how difficult it was is something we're collecting data on or should be. So if you go, as Gita said, we, we haven't really got much in the way of back-end dev work. The next highest scoring one is this. What was the last three times we did a back-end dev work without a back-end dev available? How long did that take? So that yeah. ease varies. So tracking how much time it is, tracking how much time it is on average and how much that's changing over time, because you may be continuing to assume that tests are going to be always a hard test but actually you've got better at them over time or tests that you thought were quick tests. Oh, it's just a copy change, but copy change requires a designer. We're short on designers. It then needs to go to legal to make sure they sign it off and then goes through to the copywriting department to get their okay to then go through to the market department to make sure it aligns with what they're marketing. What's a simple build is actually when three or more departments are involved, a time consuming build. And if you're adding to a model, that'd be where I'd put that, that ease is ultimately the cost of building. And if we're talking about return on investment from testing, if you're only seeing what the uplifts are, the return, yeah. but you don't know what the investment is in terms of the cost of that time, not just lack of audience, whatever, just how much in humans and time it costs to do so and how much you can improve that, then you're only able to play with one part of the equation, the return. Whereas if you can play with the investment side, I can do this more efficiently, I work faster, or I've got a better team, I've got a better spec for the team, and you're measuring how well you're improving that over time, then you're actually able to affect your model in a way that it just sits in the middle and records it because that's what you're using it for. So that would yeah. be the ad addition. That whole ease thing is where I think everybody's model falls down a little. And it, the reason why is because it's tricky. No, you know, Nobody reports their time or thinks of it as a budget cost, something we'll talk about a bit later on. But that's, that's the area where most of these models fall. Apparently, you've just described Jason McGovern's past week with one experiment. With one experiment. <laughs> I, I introduce myself as I'm the old one. I've done this. I've seen that. I still have the flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on swiftly to the next point. Now, the next point we want to cover, the mistakes that people make are weak hypotheses, or as you put it, Tim, weak hypotheses parading as hypotheses because they've heard that no hypothesis, hypothesis is bad, so they put yep. on anything. And I'll let yeah, you start you, 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 and we'll move on. To, uh, move I'll, to I'll, I'll quick, because I think I know, you know I had quite a few things to talk on. So, so uh, yeah, I really want to change the way the thing was phrased because we kind of said, you know, uh, no hypotheses, gut feel testing. And that happens, but typically not when there's a CRO involved. That tends to be the business comes to you and it's the CRO's job to kind of curate that and say, OK, here's what a test needs to look like. Can you answer these questions? So we've, we've got to, we should be doing something to do that. I think the problem comes is quite often people know they ought to have a hypothesis, but they're terrible at doing them. So their hypothesis will be something like, I've been asked to do this new page. We think the new page is better. Hypothesis is new page beats old page. <laughs> Stri strictly speaking, yes, but mm, yeah. the, the, what you're going to learn from that particular hypothesis, the answer is that you can't do hypotheses very well. And then that's, that's a bit of the kind of second step is much like prioritization. People get the idea they should, but they fall at the first couple of hurdles trying to do it properly. And I think that's where... It's a continuous mistake because there's pressures from outside to make you do crap ideas as tests. And you have to be able to put your foot down and say, 
that's not a test. Come back to me when it is, or let me help you shape that to be, but it's not a test. But is it is that because, so with, with tests, right, if test velocity or test uh, number of tests run is a metric, then you can run any number of like rubbish tests, right? You can run any number of rubbish tests to hit that metric. And similarly, I feel like with the hypotheses, right, the reason, as you said, the expectation from the outside is you have to create a hypothesis and people don't have those guidelines and then they just put in anything but then there's no peer review yeah but it's the same same as a test volume score or same as anything else it's, it's box ticking like the hypothesis yeah. part of your thinking process what do i need to change what do i need to measure to show that there has been a change this is how you start putting together your test brief this is how you start thinking is this test possible where would the difference be shown? And that's yep. where you're laying down your success or failure. You are literally using math to go null hypothesis or null hypothesis is, is not proven. Uh, yeah. the, the new hypothesis is not proven. So the, this is the, the, the core of what we're doing. So the way you ask the question and what you measure to answer that question is core to whether you'll get a result at all. And to, to make it fit there, many metrics or to tick the box saying well i've got a hypothesis quite a lot of time people just skip that and they go yep. i want it to win therefore we'll test it and that's kind of well that's a that's a hypothesis but we're testing how gullible you are or how um, arrogant you are rather than an actual thing you can put on a piece of paper sure Tito, what is what have you seen in your experience as a CRO or even interacting with people out there um in, in terms of setting hypotheses you mean well, not your mistakes, other people's mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> Always other people's mistakes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, one uh, note I wanted to make on, on setting hypotheses, you did a, an, an interesting episode of Conversation Nations about not having an hypothesis, right? Uh, okay. I don't remember with who it was. Andrew episode. Anderson. Uh, episode episode no. seven. Oh, wow, you've got show notes and stuff as well. Okay. <laughs> Long-term fan. Yeah. Can't Someone blame did it. their homework. Long-term fan. Wasn't, wasn't that, wasn't that um, Andrew talking about his kind of... Oh, uh, wow, that was an episode. Yeah, I think so. It's episode seven, a different yeah. framework or, uh, to approach yeah. experimentation. So definitely, everyone definitely go listen to that one. So, I mean, it's it's uh, yeah. so out of my depth in that, in, 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 with any guest. Like that episode, Andrew yeah. was like, okay. as, and, as Andrew and Chad, wasn't it? Yeah, and, yeah. Andrew's very much velocity counts, and our hypothesis kind of what I was saying that our hypothesis making in itself biases our testing. And yeah, we're crap at it, or yeah. we, we do it so we're only trying to pick a winner, and that's what we're doing with our, our framing. Then actually, we're limiting the fact we're not testing things that might win that we would never have thought of. So, yeah. it, but again, I'd, I'd argue I wasn't on that episode that this has come back down to we're, we're trying to pick winners we're trying to put our ideas up and then post factum work out a way to justify where we, why we picked it and that's that's why interpreting them is difficult what what cool. helped with that uh, at Randstad is is uh, asking the 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 local zero specialists that that were making the, the the experiments with the hypothesis i said always um you need to make this relevant uh, it, should, it should be relevant for another country if you can make it relevant for them if you set it in a way uh, so, like creating a new page that's not relevant for another <laughs> for another country, but create a hypothesis uh, that that uh, another country can get, and another country could could be using, could replicate in their environment. Uh, that that help them in in visualizing in um, getting uh, why they should work on a hypothesis, why this is 
uh, useful and, and uh, why it's useful to replicate things uh, if you have uh, such a large organization. And another thing uh, besides the hypothesis that always worked is that I always asked upfront and it's always useful and in, in effective experiments, you can just add another field and added the field. So, okay, if this test is a success or not, what have we learned and what are we going to do? What's the next step? Think about that before. The, if, if, if the next step is, well, we cannot do anything, you probably don't want to do the test. That's not not really useful. Uh, think about that upfront and what's going to happen after you you you've uh, you finished the test. Whatever the results, what are the next steps? Cool, uh, Val. Yeah. So two things, especially coming from in-house, um, that weigh into my thoughts around hypotheses. One is I don't think you can prioritize a test idea. I think you can only prioritize once it's in a hypothesis format, because otherwise it's either too broad or not specific enough for you to even say how much time will it take someone to do this. So yep. um, and factor that onto I've always my goal has always been to be a center of excellence and to democratize as much of this process to my stakeholders as possible. But can you guess how many people show up to a meeting if you put something on their calendar called how to write a good hypothesis? No one. No one's going to show up. And so um, back when we were using Google Forms when I was at the AMA and then also when I was using Effective Experiments, we always used um, the uh, crowdsourcing form to kind of trick people into writing hypotheses. So um, <laughs> I like the if then because statement. Yep. And yeah. so we asked it in a question format. So what are you what are you looking to change and then someone types it in and then what would you expect or how would you know it won and why do you think that that will win and so then we would take those three parts of the sentence and then you have if your variable then is your your action statement your result and then your rationale to help kind of triangulate results in the back end so don't call it the hypothesis yeah it. definitely <laughs> don't, don't jargon, jargon right yeah. but that, that's interesting to say that because uh if that quite similar to what Craig Sullivan put out there, the hypothesis toolkit, uh, which he developed, I think, with Michael Argyle. Like, he used to, when he, he said, like, in one of his talks that when he was at Carglass, that if anyone approached him, uh, anyone came to his office with ideas, he would ask them straight on, what is your hypothesis? And if they didn't have a hypothesis, they would leave the room. They would have to leave the room immediately. So it's, it's just like that, right? And that's a really good suggestion out there, Val, like, you know, rather than trying to get them to think about formulating the hypothesis, create that structure for them, and it's just fill in the blanks then. But if you keep it that way, like the if, then, and you know, how will we know about that? Then it provides them with, you know, it reduces that cognitive load for them. Exactly. And I completely agree with that. That's something that CRO should be doing. It's getting people into that experimentation mindset. It's not just about throwing out random statements that parade as hypotheses. It's about really creating meaningful statements that you can actually look back and determine whether your test was successful or not with that hypothesis. Like we'll talk about test results and calling test outcomes and stuff slightly later, but that, this kind of ties into it. If your hypothesis isn't strong enough, how do you know if your, your results are matching up with that or not, right? So yeah, uh, similar to prioritization, it's not the lack of prioritization or the lack of, of writing hypotheses, the quality of it. And it, it's still coming down to that thing about like peer review that I've, I've been thinking about over the last few days. It's about when someone reviews a test and they say, okay, we've had 10 successes or we've had you know one, one out of 10 failures, right? One out of 10 tests succeeding. Is Part of it could be also be the instrumentation of the test, the way it's set up, the way the hypothesis has been set, laid out. And how do you call that out, right? So it's, it's just trying to figure out, like, 
where do we add quality in this industry? The, 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 the fact that people are doing it is good, but I think we need to add an element of quality. And this is these mistakes, like even with the CXL report, we're looking at uh, the, the stats about people not prioritizing, people not you know, um, throwing out ideas out there. Where do those ideas come from? And it's still shocking to see that in 2018, it's still happening. And this is why I wanted to do this session as well. Any other yeah, points yeah. that we want to add to that, Val? No, I was just going to say that a lot of the tools have like, you can turn on two-factor authentication to launch the test, but like, where's the second set of eyes to make sure that all the things that go into it beforehand, like before you launch the missiles, the two keys. <laughs> yeah, there, there's, there's, there's process lacking there. I mean, it's interesting what Val, to pick on what Val was saying in terms of having the form. That's a good approach to kind of crowdsource the basics. But yeah. I still think you need a step where you guide them because quite a lot of the time you'll still get, you know, we want to change this page. How will we tell? We'll make more money. Okay. Yes, maybe down the line, but kind of the thing you're changing is removed from that and it may not move that. How much would the money need to move by for us to say this was a clear effect and is that realistic? There's still that conversation to be had because otherwise people go, bright idea, more cash. And it's like, if that's the basis, then one in 10 is a really high win rate, you know, because you're, you're wishing and hoping still. So I think for collecting ideas and using it to shape the way that people will contribute towards, you know, the, the test hypothesis, it's a, it's a great technique. It's the best one. But I think you can't, you still need to have that involvement with the people coming back to kind of gently educate them as to what that needs to look like for you to have a clear test, a clear test result. Yeah, good stuff. So uh, we've got a question coming in from Jason. When asked about next steps prior to, run, uh, prior to running an experiment, I've been told they'll figure it out once they see the results. What's the argument to convince people to identify next steps from the beginning? I think he'd, he'd had it right. It's, it's, this, is, this is core to what we're doing. Why are we even testing this page then? You know, yeah. It could be you've got a couple of options, but that surely is hypothesis and counter hypothesis. Yeah. If we change this thing and this happens, we'll see this effect, which means if we change it and we see the other effect, that means it either doesn't have an effect, not worth testing again, or it yeah. does have an effect, but we pick the wrong one, in which case we go with option B. So yeah. it's not entirely entirely viable approach to have a couple more test ideas lined up as a result of if it wins, we'll go this way. If it loses, we'll go that way. But I'll wait and see is, is not sufficient. It's not the right approach. You haven't thought that through well enough in terms of what, what you're asking as a question, because there should yeah. be a, a left or a right, a right or a wrong, proven or disproven. And if you've got a, a strategic goal and it doesn't take you that way, you've got a choice. Do we carry on down this dead end or we come back to another? That's... Yeah. That's what the, the hypothesis is supposed to do. It's supposed to make you think, if we have this result, what is the outcome, as, as Hedo said at the start? So if somebody's giving you that, um, who was asked? Jason asked that. Um, yeah. <clears throat> that's part of the thing to get them to help to change. So, okay, so we think the thing we've changed has an effect on the behavior. Their behavior shows it did. What do we want to do next? Oh, do more. Right, okay, well, what test would do that? Go off and think about that. Yeah. If it didn't... <clears throat> What's the next thing you would like to do? And you, you're challenging them to think through their idea beyond just the whole come up with idea. Did we get money? You know, it, yeah. it's it's kind of magic button machine testing. You know, you're pressing on the button, going, did it win? Did it win? Did it win? No thought as to what led to you getting to this point, increasing your odds of the next one being a win or an insightful step forward. And that's what the program does, rather than tests in isolation. So I'd I'd. I always try and use it as a learning experience. I try and take that sort of question going, oh, we just wait and see, talk it through with them. 
well, let's think what could happen. If yeah. it was 20% up, would that change it? If it was 5% up and we weren't quite sure, would that change it? If it was 5% down, 20% down. Okay, so in each of those scenarios, those are all possible outcomes at this stage. Where do you need the business to go? What would you like to happen? Okay, let's assume it's one. What's the next test we do? And if they can answer that, they've got an idea while we're doing this first test. If they can't, maybe the first test needs a bit more thinking. Yeah, good point. Anyone else want to add to that before we move on to the next point? All good? Let's move oh, on to the on. next one. Yeah. Uh, so this is an interesting one, quite kind of biased from this one as well, but not keeping track of historical results, right? Not keeping track of historical results. I mean, I was in conversation with uh, a large decentralized company, uh, like decentralized CRO teams within this organization. And I swear, like, they, no one knew what the other person was doing in terms of, like, what tests were run, when they were on, what's coming up, what's finished. But more importantly, what we start, I started seeing as well was that they were running similar tests or the same tests or tests that ended up colliding with each other. What's your take on that, Keto? Um, it's a waste of your time, right? <laughs> um, um, you want to be, you want to at least be informed what other what others have been uh, doing in your in your uh, on your website and what what they've learned and 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 take that with you in the next experiment. Um, doesn't mean you you cannot run your test or shouldn't retest something, uh, but at least know what you're doing, what worked uh, previously. Um, that doesn't mean it's it's really simple to do. I mean, you have to have good. I mean, if you have a, a large website or different websites, even uh, different products, it's hard to keep track of. Okay, who, who did we test? Where did we test? And 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 structure that in the right way. You need need to have proper proper tagging of of what you've uh, yeah of the reports that you've uh, uh, written and and uh, the tests that you've done. Yeah. Um, but I th yeah, it's 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 a final thing. And then, like I said, it doesn't mean um, you you you're not you you cannot move forward with your test, but at least be informed about it. I think like a CRO's life cycle as well in the company, like what I've, mm -hmm. what I've been noticing over the last four or five years since I've been running effective experiments is like, it's about between one or two years, right? And a lot of them sometimes are between six months and, and one year. So in that time, if that person leaves and then another person joins, it's again, you're like going back, you're resetting the clock again. And so all the, the learnings from that past year, there's no track of that. Where's it mm -hmm. gone? Right? Yeah, it's, a, it's uh, a risk for the company if you don't track it. Yeah, that, that's the thing, the risk to the company that because it's the data that the company should be leveraging, right? The company should really understand, build up their their organizational brain, right? And then over time, they can leverage those uh, customer insights. It's not just about results, it's actually customer insights that, you, that are going to drive that forward, right? Val, what's your take yeah, and it's not just people leaving the organization. You don't want to burden your CRO team, or especially if you're a small team, every time someone new joins, right? So it's a part of the onboarding. Um, yeah. But I've found that there's no better way than to get people to move away from the focus of win rate than to make democratize and easy to access all the learnings from every test, whether or not it was a win. So. Yeah. And, and why would you take test ideas from everywhere in the organization and then hold them tight to your chest, right, once you've learned yeah. something? So yeah. I, I found that that's a huge way to prove the value of the program, especially when you you haven't had a win in a long time, right? Win rates, I've heard Claire Vaux say this at CXL a couple of years ago, and I loved it, like, win rate's a great metric until it's not, right? So oh, yeah. 
you haven't had a winner in, in a couple in a row, like you don't want people to be like, well, let's deprioritize this. Let's, you know, take these tests off our backlog. Like I'm not going to prioritize dev time for it. If you show the, the learnings, no matter your outcome and what you did because of it and how it's made you better, I think that that's like, a, it's a big part of our the pro, any program I've run. I think that's a really good point. We can just take that out and like capture yeah. it, right? The, it, like prioritizing learnings over win rates because win rates again the same way like uh, testing velocity can end up being like a vanity metric and it's great when the number's up uh, but then that number goes down and you start getting questions I think there was a LinkedIn thread if you remember a while ago Tim about um, someone just saying you know how do you engage with stakeholders and they're like well we just show them the the, the results and stuff right and your take on that was what like once they start getting questioned by the CFO why the numbers aren't affecting the bottom line, that's when everything starts falling apart, right? So it's, yeah. what's your take? Uh, it's a very valid point so across the board. I mean, I obviously think you don't bother writing it down, just play it by ear. It's not yeah. something that I've banged on about for the last 10 years now, but it's, yeah, the, 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 the difference seems to come is that the value that people assume, the value that people have been sold in terms of CRO is we'll get wins, we'll get big money, we'll just cash out. And if you're yeah. moving fast enough, it doesn't matter. You can just kind of like win, 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 win. Hooray, heroes, go. And I kind of argued, I think it was my first conversion world, I said, oh, as much as we like to think we're like the Avengers and we come in and save the world and fix everything, we're much more like like the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., kind of the boring guys in suits who come in and make sure all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed. Is If we actually get more done and we're more effective, it's just a lot less noise, a lot less collateral damage. And, yeah. and <laughs> write, writing it down is, is, is basically key. And we've had kind of a couple of good reasons already, but it's ultimately, this is, this is the value. This is what you're doing. You're writing the rule book. You're writing the things to be challenged next time. And you are making a, a historical record of how you have put together this jigsaw puzzle that is my user base for my website at this time. And it gives you a ground. It means that even losing tests bring up the bar. Even tests where you didn't win as big as you could bring up the bar. So your next test, your chance to win again, is increased because of the mistakes you know not to make, because of the wins you know probably lurk somewhere, Jakob's point earlier on. So not keeping track of historical results apart from some kind of way of keeping a score in terms of how many tests I did, how many wins did I get, how much was that win projected to get, very quickly hits a brick wall because once yeah. those vanity metrics turn up and somebody goes either I don't believe them and you have to try and explain or I did believe them but now you, your promise is you're hitting diminishing returns you're no longer getting the big wins therefore we must have optimized therefore this cost is excess to, to requirements yeah. if you can turn around and say not just what you did but how you did how long it took what you learned from how you built it, not just what you learned from running it, then you reduce your costs over time. It becomes quicker to plan a test. You've got a wealth of data which allows you to hire people more cheaply because they can come in with less knowledge, learn from your knowledge base. You can grow rock stars internally rather than having to hire externally. There's a massive magnifying snowball effect of actually having everything put together and going, here's how we did what we do, and here's how we will do it and improve upon it next time. If you're yeah. not writing that down and keeping the right level of detail for that, then you're missing out the probably the biggest chunk of value is that you will get better at doing it, get better at doing wins and do so more cheaply, which yeah. is 
surely what we should do is optimize this. If you're not doing it for yourself, I mean, your manager will ask at some points, what are you bringing to the company, right? <laughs> and yeah. then you and will what's, need... the, what's the best time to turn around to your boss and say, actually, boss, I've already got all of this because this exactly. is how I work. I write it down as I go. Where would you like to go? Yeah. By the way, I've keyword tagged everything. You want to know how product pages go? Here's how many product page tests have been successful in the last year versus last year's product, uh, previous year's product te page tests. And I think you'll find that the number of tests has increased. The cost to do a test has, has, has decreased. And although we're getting less per test the cumulative impact is up higher if there's a boss yeah. who turns around and goes still not good enough you're like okay i can take this anywhere because this sort of ability is marketable in this market right now yeah but actually but most bosses don't they go here's a pot of cash bring me back more cash and if you can do that and prove that and you've got a, a way to just literally turn into an existing asset because it's the thing you use in your day-to-day -day job it's not extra admin Getting to yeah. end of quarter review, getting to end of year review, and then having to justify yourself to a board who's going to give you five minutes and two bullet points to prove yourself is a nightmare, unless you've been working like that the whole way through because you're auditing yourself after every test. Then all you need to do is go to your summary sheets that you work from and go copy paste. There you go. Already done. Yeah. It's kind of you're kind of planting a tree now to sit in the shade in the future. Otherwise, you're yeah. setting yourself up to to fail in six months time or on top of an already high pressure situation, suddenly have to produce a custom report. That's mental. That's yeah. not efficient. That is not optimal. That's yeah, not having... optimizers. Uh, it shouldn't be the optimizer's mindset, should it? Yeah, I, I, this this is where I, I, I it is a bit of a soapbox of mine. It's where I get confused. It's like if we're optimizing stuff, we want things to go better. Then how we optimize surely is one of the targets. It, it, you want to increase your test velocity. You can throw more people at it, or you can have the same number of people work smarter. What's yeah. one of the things that helps them work smarter? Learning how they didn't do well in the past. How could yeah. you do that? I don't know. Let's keep some kind of record somewhere. <laughs> oh, when when could we write that down? Whilst we're doing it, that's just crazy talk. I don't want to do admin. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But in six months' time, you'll have a week's worth of nothing but admin and still get punished at the end. Why not write it down now? Yeah, definitely. So keeping track of it. Hido, any, any final thoughts on that before we move yeah, on? And, to the next? And in addition, so we spoke, uh, we spoke about prioritization uh, and having historical data. This also helps you update the weights in your prioritization model. Oh, yeah. yeah. You, you know where things are going well and where they aren't. So... Or, 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 or let's be positive you've done well the boss goes you know she comes to you and she goes look you're going really well where could we give you more money what do you need to invest in if you turn around and go oh good point oh who could i hire this be good yeah then you're already behind the curve if she comes to you and you go actually i think if we could have two more devs then we can knock off two more of these big complicated back-end tests per month which gives us a second track to run the complicated back ones we're doing great on the front end if we get to 10 tests a month on the front end we probably need two more designers why because every two extra tests a week we need a designer and if you can turn around with basically a balance sheet and go to them see what happens every time you add a person it, it 4x's then that's the sort of stuff boards listen to and go Okay, so how much if I gave you a hundred thousand? And you're like, okay, not enough people in this area to hire, not enough traffic to work with, but thanks for the support. And but you've got numbers already to justify the growing and the scaling of your business. And that's that's how business works, not CRO. If you can say, I took this money, I made it into more money, they will go, Can I give you more money? If you can say yes and here's what it looks like, that's what you get to do sitting on the board. That's where the CTO side of things come in, the CMO side of things comes in, because that's their job. Good stuff. Let's move on to the next point. And this is all about 
I put statistics as this all-encompassing statement, but it's all about. <laughs> we, we need Chad. Where's Chad? Really specific. Chad's really specific. Chad's gone to the big, uh, big league now. He's at Microsoft. So, and also in specific time zone. So it's yeah. probably too early for him right now. But uh, statistics as an all-encompassing statement. But uh, what I was trying to get across over here was instrumentation errors, calling uh, results out incorrectly, and saying tests have failed when really the setup. Uh, is an issue or they're calling winners when the you know the the, the stats are all wrong so val do you want to take uh, take that one and tell us your thoughts on that sure so two thoughts um one is um if you're not going to respect the underlying math for what it takes to accurately read a test then you're really not helping your organization mitigate risk with testing anyways. And so you should really just pick whichever one you like and just launch it, right? Um, sure. And the, the other is um, the stopping too early or like, oh, oh yeah. it's almost significant. Like, let's see if we like run it for another week, that whole gamification. Um, what was the point of doing all of the setup to begin with? Like why use calculators? Why think about practical significance and, and how much you need to power your test? Like it just undoes so much of the planning if you start playing games on the back end. And so again, going back to writing good hypotheses and having expectations for how you want to leverage what you've learned, that should protect you from making those bad mistakes or someone bullying you into um, letting or, you know, pulling a test as soon as it reaches significance or letting it run too long, that kind of thing. So um, I think that people need to respect if, if you're if we're going to trust you with the big guns, like you need to understand and respect like how to leverage it. And there's so many resources in this area out there, things like conversations and, you know, the measures black and all the different channels to get information. If you have questions, I would say if you're just starting out or let's say you're a marketer or a product person who's just getting pulled into these types of responsibilities, I would say just ask questions because you're not going to help your organization by making bad calls. Yeah, definitely. And and I think like part of the blame as well is to lie with vendors in the early days. You remember like the testing tools like BWO, for example, would call winners like within three days and we it would be statistically significant and they'd have like a line over there like you've got a winner, go and launch it. And it's like, what, what? Three days? Yeah, that's fair to be I think op, uh, Google Web Optimizer and Optimizely both did the same sort of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, I, I think this is a whole podcast we've done a couple of times before. I think the, I'm going to be a little bit more positive. I think Val's right. I mean, if, if you're not doing it like this, then why are you, why are you even bothering? You know, just go with gut feel. Just if you yeah. want to go as fast as possible, go with gut feel. Just accept that you're taking big risks and won't know why. We're not playing CRO anymore, but if, if you want to justify what you were going to do anyway with an A-B test, knock yourself out. But actually, exactly. just, just do it because you've, you've actually reduced your ROI by adding an A-B test in the mix, which is rubbish results. So yeah. um, I think I think the key point is that there are lots of resources out there. You know, Ten years ago, there was a lot less written about this. There were no online calculators. The ones we used to use were on Excel. I've still got my old Excel one when I'm still not sure. And I go back and use it. I've got a nice little one in R and Power BI now. But ultimately, it still comes down to the same basic rules. Now, you can pick a model that's appropriate to the metrics. You can sense check it. But really, that's it. It's like knowing that if all your statistical ability is is to understand what the tool says it can measure instrumentation 
building tests, therefore, that allow you to see within the limitations of your ability to interpret and the test. So it needs to be a clear single change with a large MDE. And you accept that if you set a large MDE, and unless it's 20% up, we don't count it, you're going to have a yeah. high fail rate because you've set yeah. a very high bar for it must be this different or else we can't tell. And we are deciding to set our... Uh, our levels high enough that we are so risk averse we'll risk not changing anything and the fail safe in any null hypothesis test is to change nothing so yeah that's something where you can understand that you can read that no matter what tool you're doing if you go oh i want to play closer to the wind i want to bring that down i want to have be able to detect smaller 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 effect sizes understand the statistical tools that you've got and the tools within the the vendor platform you're using that allow you to do so and if you don't have them put those sort of tests further down your prioritization just like we talk about back end tests you'd like to do do the stats you can do right now for your skill level and your tool level but respect them at that level if you're yeah. hardcore super doubter then double check triple check everything but if you've got an original thing saying here's what we're affecting here's how much it should go up by here's the amount of time we're going to give it to go up by that amount if it doesn't then we have not proved our approved our hypothesis we haven't worked out that this is the alternative at that point it must be something else either we pick the wrong metric or the thing we change does not move the metric we're measuring by enough to matter by the standards we set and those are the basics that all of the help files of all of the tools will explain to you so that's your responsibility read the help files for the tool you've got and if you can't understand it jump on twitter jump on pester the vendor pester the various slack people and say hey i'm a bit confused it says i should be saying <laughs> that ask, I should ask, be doing that. ask them on yeah. slack and you get the documentation printed out for you yeah See, i told you i have Basically. You from Tim. <laughs> his reputation precedes him but um <laughs> talking, about, talking about stats right so we've got uh Parker asking black box which is why i left but the self-made frequentist versus bayesian versus what Yes, definitely one of those. <laughs> <laughs> but I take you take you back to my previous point. Know what it it can do. You know, if you if you're yeah. going to go with a black box solution, test run tests where you've got an idea what the answer is and see what difference it does. If you're yeah, going to go with yeah. frequentist or Bayesian, set up your priors, set up your MDE, set up the the the, the levels and the metrics that you're measuring to to suit what you're doing. A fixed sample working out what your p-value would be working out what your z-score distribution would need to be use them on appropriate metrics bin binomial not like um not like revenue-based stuff you know pick them according to what you can do and how you able you are to interpret that um yeah self-made if you've got anything else pick what your business understands what your teams understand and what, what your what your manager understands if they yeah. don't understand it to begin with yeah, that's a huge one that's a huge one Click, yeah. click, click, clicks on banners that are going to be there for a week. You need a fast answer, Bayesian. Doesn't need to be more. Be, this is more likely than not, not terrible. Okay, go. Yeah. If you if you want if you don't know the maths but you're willing to do something and you'll trust a tool, read up about how that tool should work. Watch what it black box does, and if the black box comes out with results that don't line up with what your business is saying actually reality is, maybe question the black box a bit more. Self-made. Yeah. If you if you know it's 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 appropriate to this. What I was saying, the appropriate to the skill level you've got and appropriate to the time and the situation you've got. There is no, I use both frequentist and Bayesian and I will get right into doing some deep stuff if I need to on the revenue splits because more often than not, the stuff you do at the advanced level is not more people bought. It's more people bought in a pattern that you're trying to shift to, slightly yeah. more products of a higher value or a slightly higher frequency of return purchase because you're affecting business metrics, not web metrics. 
but yeah. that takes a lot more data a lot more setup a test to be set up to detect that and provoke that sort of reaction and a, somebody who can crunch that but that's also not something you should start as your first ever test yeah, yeah sure. when, I'm, when i'm trying to to get people to do zero and, and teaching them i'm usually trying to make it simple i usually say okay just if you run a b test always let it run for four weeks uh usually not longer because you get sample size pollution and especially in e-commerce i see a lot of uh weak weekend effects and usually uh, oh, yeah. i see an effect during the month especially when people get get their salaries you see a End different effect in that week um so four weeks is, is a nice time period of doing that and 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 just just make it simple do it for all, all every test you do four weeks and of course, there are downsides, uh, and and you need to adapt later on. But if you're starting out, the, to make it a bit more simple. Yeah. So Hrutke asks, so which model, in terms of explanation, is easiest to explain to uh, to your in your experience the C suite? Uh, this gets interesting. Val, do you want to try and uh, answer this one? Sure. And I'm gonna answer it by not really answering which model. I don't have the silver bullet there. If I did, you wouldn't be asking the question. But if it comes back to you, I mean, at some point, even if before we get into modeling, sometimes clients and people that you're reading out tests to can't take the results of a multivariate. Maybe they're not ready to understand an interaction effect. So understanding the what people want to do with this information and what appetite they have for what you're going to present is huge before you present your results. But if on the front end you say, this is what we intend to learn and here's how we plan to act on it, it's less about the model itself. And it's more about, you know, this is the, there's a lot of process and a lot of things that happen that you don't share. And maybe th these are some of the details that aren't necessary for getting people to understand what we've learned and how to take action. And so I prefer to focus on those pieces versus trying to bring people into the process and show them how smart I am by, you know, type one error, type two error control. Like, they don't want to hear that as much as like, this is what we've learned and when we're confident in these results and this is what we can do with it. And so that's that's where I focus, especially yeah. when it's C-suite. Yeah, Hoka, I, I'm sorry, there is, no, <laughs> there is no silver bullet answer for you. And, and as Peter <clears throat> pointed out as well, C-suite doesn't usually get statistics to begin with. Yeah. And so what you're going to say, like, again, I, I've uh, um, had one of my previous podcasts where I talked about storytelling rather than bombarding them with numbers because they look at numbers, they'll be like, okay, it looks great, but then it only looks great until the moment they start questioning you about those numbers. Um, so if stories actually work more better for C-suite, um, they will not get those statistics. <laughs> You. Yeah, so it's another follow-up, so we're moving on to the next one, but um, that was going to be my answer as well, that no, <laughs> there is no one model that will convince C-suite, what you need to do is educate the C-suite. In terms of um, <clears throat> you getting asked about calculations, which was Ruka's uh, uh, follow-up, yeah, good, but again, use that as a learning experience, go like, not the time to tell you now, but you hired me to be the expert on this. I've done the due diligence on this. If you would like me to explain to you how this is calculated, more than happy. Come along, join in. We'll get, and they, at some point during that conversation, we'll go, do you know what? <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. So the, the question more comes down to why can't I see this effect on the bottom line? This again comes down to, well, there's so many other factors. We are selecting a sample that allows us to judge a decision on a part of the site at a frame in time. So we're, we're, we're framing decisions. We're not saying this guarantees money forever. We're saying yeah. this is where money would lie because of reasons. 
and we're checking and double checking those reasons to give you advice that is better than the 50 50 guesswork that you want to do if you want to get involved in the statistics you want to arm me with the data scientists to come and do it more than happy but right yeah. now your job is run the company my job is make sure these tests are you know valid and the data integrity is correct as far as we've got yeah. with the tools you've given us the data integrity is appropriate to make a decision with this much risk which was val's point at the start that's what you're doing i can quantify risk therefore this is less risky than your other choice do you want to know more and that yeah. that bayesian's easy to get across in terms of oh look it's a percentage of risk but it still is underlying stats that may or may not be correct you know it, it's very easy with bayesian to give them a number that they believe and they get because it's percentage to win but without explaining that the information that that feeds that percentage to win being reported you could still just as likely report a false result and get as much people uh, doubting you when they don't see the numbers it's about yeah. convincing and educating them to understand that this is a method to narrow your odds of a mistake not remove narrow how narrow do you want them i want to be 100 percent certain fine that'll be a billion pounds in a billion years but a decision tomorrow in which case that will be much much cheaper but we won't be as accurate what do you want accuracy and precision it will take time and money that's, yeah. that's you, the choice they have to make what i usually try to do is uh to work with a department within the organization that the c-suite already trusts which is usually the finance on bi department uh, if i can get them to sign off on my work that's usually uh, a big sign for them okay these numbers are correct we don't need to know the, the, the nitty-gritty details yeah uh, but but okay they signed off on on the predictions or whatever that we do gotcha and uh, just to wrap up that point as well uh, Chad our old friend has a course out on CXL um, fairly soon I think and yeah just watch that it should answer a lot of questions we leave it to him to like so are, yeah. are you recommending that you uh, give the link to all your c-suites so that they can take that course too is that what you <laughs> said? no I've, I've seen the course content as a very very rare c-suite person would want to do that particular course that's it's, okay if, if you want to know how to build your own black boxes and self-made yeah. stuff then it would be a great course if you want to get your head around kind of the mechanics of doing so so you can not be scared by that it's a it's a good nuts and bolts Kind of maybe, maybe it's just to gift that to the, uh, to the, to the C level, right? It's Christmas. Gift it to them. They'll be like, oh, that's a bit hard. You know uh, what you're doing. That, that's Val's point. A little bit of mic drop. Boom. You know, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Do, you, do you want me to prove how good I'm yeah. stats? Oh, yeah. Here we go. Type one, type two. Check, check, <laughs> check it out. Here's what I have to pay. But I said just simplify. Here's a bunch of keywords. Here's what I think. is You're paid to do your job. You pay me to do my job. This is as good as we can get with the tools we've got right now and that's my responsibility to ensure that on that basis here is the decision i'm telling you to make based on those numbers and that's yeah. that's that's a conversation if they don't as Ida said it, it's it's a very different conversation it means they don't trust you and departmental buy-in the people you helped going no no that, that looks about right sea level are busy people they're doing stuff yeah, yeah, the, the company running they just need a bullet point saying it worked it didn't work what we're doing about it and then move on and then the, the only other thing that has worked for me, which I'll, I'll add, since there wasn't a lot of satisfaction with my first answer, <laughs> um, is I found a lot of success with analogies. And I know that we use these a lot, like type one, type two, like putting an innocent man in jail, letting a guilty person run free, or confidence interval is if you were to go into a time machine 99 more times, how many times would you have the same outcome, right? So those types of things help ground it in something that people know so the entire conversation isn't foreign. And so if you can come up with an analogy or something that 
that's like not using stats words, um, then I would say that that potentially is a win if you're trying to like get people into some of the concepts. Good point. Let's move on to the last. I know we're slightly over time right now, but let's cover that last point. And this goes ties in with a C-suite as well. So it's wrapping everything up uh, in a neat little bow. Forgetting that CRO experimentation is actually bigger than test itself and forgetting that engaging the wider organization is just as important. So in my opinion, like obviously running experiments is you need to do that because if you don't do that, you don't have, have an experimentation program. But what I find is um, conversion optimization ends up becoming a silo within a larger organization itself. So you see CRO teams just running on hamster wheels, churning our tests. But when it comes to engaging the wider organization, it's almost like an afterthought or something that they feel that they're doing right again. They, they, they know that they need to do it, but the, the execution leaves a lot to be desired over there. So Hido, do you want to uh, pick up on that point? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> it's clear. No. Val? Uh, sure. So um, one of the things that I did when I was at the AMA is um, there was a ton of silos. It's a large nonprofit. And um, I had the benefit of like starting with two people on my team. And so we divided and conquered and basically worked like an embedded resource. So we were an extension of the different teams that we were serving with our analysis and, and the, the program, the testing that we were running. And I found that incredibly beneficial. And so the people on my team, because you get invited to conversations or meetings that someone would never have put on your calendar. And you sure. get to hear about what's important to them, what things are coming up without this structure or rigor of like, okay, let's set up a meeting and talk about testing. Like, I love talking about testing in the context of like everything else that you care about and what you're talking about. That's the way that you get it ingrained into other people's process and not a separate Kanban board to take care of testing activities. Like, let's talk about it within the product board, right? So as many times as you can ingrain yourself um, into those other conversations that are already happening, get yourself in those stand-up meetings, talk about the line of business and the different, you know, parts of the roadmap, the way that your stakeholders are talking about it as quickly as possible. Um, that's how you're going to get your vernacular and what you care about and your priorities for testing back into theirs. And so um, I, I've seen a lot of success with that. Good. Yeah, that's, really, see, that's really interesting. We usually see happening is that when you when when Zero uh, starts at a company, you usually starts um at, at the of course at the website uh that's where you start optimizing things but but quickly you run into business rules or business issues uh with uh you, you see you do usability studies uh you see that that the the problem is not with the website but with the expectations that are uh created before people get on the website or there are expectations um set on the website that have an impact on how things are delivered um and and then you need those those people from those different departments so uh in order to optimize that so for the, for the whole customer journey not just on the website that's not the whole customer journey there, there are things happening before and after and you need those people for that so as yeah. soon as you can uh yeah like Phil said uh, go to their meetings sit on those um and get informed what's happening over there good stuff tim yeah i, I it's Broad, broad consensus on this one. I think it's it's this it's this stuff outside of uh, being CRO. I think we summed this up originally when we were sort of saying is is kind of target fixation on CRO and A/B testing. Like we know it's important. We've lived and breathed this. We look at optimization, but it, we're not the only fruit. We're not the only department. And yeah. forgetting that is one of the core reasons why the previous four things we just talked about are required. 
unless you understand that you're there to make things move forward and a facilitator, not a block. You know, no, I won't let you have a test live because it will ruin my lovely little test plan. There's only a test plan there because the business needs there to be one. You know, if you can't work with that, and I think a lot of the work I do seems to be nowadays, and I don't know if it's a maturity model thing in terms of where I am with my experience or just because there's more demand for it in the market, but I seem to spend more of my time fixing the stuff that isn't web pages and UX than I do anything else because I go in and the web pages are symptomatic of the fact there was a poor decision-making process in marketing, no offense marketing, or product to, <laughs> to, to, to put that web page up in the first place. They are not customer centric they've done it for you know department centric or they've done it as as indecision by committee we couldn't decide what the page needed to look like so we had 10 people around the table we thrashed through its redesigns and we launched the one which we objected to least and it's like okay at any point did you think what the customer wanted no or the problem is you know, the product's good your lead gen's good but you don't deliver on time and it's bad quality or customer service is terrible or your postal service people are really letting you down you know yeah. these are all things which will impact your conversion rate but conversion rate is the smallest part of that it's have you got a healthy business do you have a healthy proposition are you presenting that to the right audience are you delighting that audience when they get that and an awful lot of the businesses out there trying to improve their conversion rate or the bottom line revenue from their web business need to fix the need to fix the business part as much as they need to fix the web part and sure. CRO uh, AB testing is great at getting evidence to show them that maybe it's not the web page, but their baby is in fact quite ugly, and then finding ways to make their baby look prettier. Because yeah, that's where as, as a practical example, so when, when I worked at the florist, that usually that, that's a gifting uh, business, right? So you can have the, the greatest experience on your website, but if the person delivering that bouquet to your loved one, to your mother, uh, to your fiance, if, they, if they're having a bad day <laughs> and just throwing the bouquet inside, you're not going to buy again. And that's not up to yeah. the website. It's, it's or, or you're optimizing going, oh, it'd be great if we could get people to buy flowers once a week. It's like, yes. But realistically, it's going to be birthdays, weddings, exactly, yeah, yeah, you know, anniversaries. What we're going to do is, is the biggest category. Yeah. Is we optimize for the periods when they're most likely to buy. But if we're now going to have a sign up to our weekly subscription service because that's the new hot thing, we talked about shiny object syndrome. Yeah, that's probably going to annoy more regular customers, and it will get you new signups to your amazing buy flowers once a week, cancel after three weeks because bloody hell, who needs flowers every week service. <laughs> because somebody somewhere went we should do subscription why it's hot right now and they're like have we got any evidence for that being useful does that fit yeah. what we're able to optimize and i think an yeah. awful lot of the focus on can we optimize we talk about local maxima for page and design it's like is this literally as good as we can get this product you know are there just not that many people who want to buy it at this price in this market with the current competition is there anything we can do in the way we can test to understand what good would look like and go back to product or go back to delivery or go back to the rest of the company and say, I can make this look better and smell better, but underlying it, it's still not really that good. Can yeah. we fix that? And that, yeah. that will have a much larger impact than tweaking your copy or your landing page layout or the button colors or the imagery you've used for it. Because yeah. if it's something people want, they will buy it more often. Yeah. And the only other thing I'll say just back to the business health to your point, Tim, is like as an in-house CRO or even if you're outside, whatever, you carry a lot of culture. Like you need to be a change agent within those teams a lot, even if it's 
getting people comfortable with non-production level code being published into production or getting people comfortable with failure, right? Like they need to embrace failure, fail fast, like all that kind of yeah. stuff is very foreign to lots of teams. And so you need to get people comfortable with a lot of those concepts. And so um, being that that change agent, making people feel comfortable with that change is a huge part of the success and, and weighing in on some of the business stuff that you were talking about, Tim. Yeah, Definitely. it's just change management and project management. Well, you need to, we need to relabel it. An awful lot of the biggest wins come from fixing the business, fixing the culture, which we talk about a lot, yeah. and A-B testing and the stats and how to pick your test and hypothesis to test. That all then cascades down from that one major piece. So we're talking about yeah. the five mistakes that people are making. I think the other four that we talked about are compounded by the fact that people don't get these foundational pieces right. And I'm not saying as a junior CRO, you can come in and tell the CEO or the C, uh, CTO they're doing it wrong. Yeah. But you yeah. can you can find evidence to find ways to work around the limitations that you've got in your proposition, your product, and then present that as part of what your testing program is uncovering. And if you can do that, you're more useful to the business than somebody who optimized a single landing page for a single season for a certain amount of time. <laughs> Good stuff. So let's wrap it up on this point. Tim said, "Don't be, you're not the Avengers. You need to be agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Be like Coulson. Yeah, be like Coulson. <laughs> Or May, um, you know, be the cavalry. Yeah, 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 be the cavalry. Cool. So let's wrap up at this uh, at this juncture. We've kind of gone over time. Maybe next time we need to schedule a two-hour session to fully allow Tim to have some breathing space. Uh, Jed, I could just yeah. not come on. <laughs> I could just not come on. I'll sit in the audience and snipe. No, no, no. I've got work to be getting on with. <laughs> but for the new uh, newbies, uh, Val and Hido, I hope you enjoyed your time on this um, Conversion Nations episode. I hope to have you guys on again in the new year. For everyone watching, thanks for joining us. Uh, this has been Conversion Nations. Check us out on iTunes and on YouTube. And we'll see you in the new year with more episodes. This is Manuel Costa signing off. Bye for now. Bye.